We've been speaking from Colossians. You've certainly noticed the first three chapters are about nothing but Jesus Christ. The power of Godhead, Godhead manifested to us, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the flesh manifested to us in the things He did while He walked here in the world, revealing to us that He is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And we came on down and we talked about being... Well, we're full. We are, even as we live in this world of sin, and even as we have our body of sin, which is not yet changed, you're given spiritual life, even though we live in this condition that we battle and fight against daily, in the eyes of God... We're perfected here. Peter said, and I said this the last two Sundays, I'm not going to turn back over there and repeat it, but that we're given all things that pertain to life and godliness in Christ. And then we came forth and we talked about the circumcision made without hands where God circumcises the heart. This is the work of God. This is the hand of God. This is the purpose of God. We had absolutely nothing to do with it. We had no choice of it. We had no work to gain it. No way possible. We're going to get into this again today when we start the text because we were dead in sin spiritually. And the dead do not hunger. The dead do not thirst. The dead cannot move. That was our condition in Adam from his sin in the beginning. And he talked about being buried with him in baptism. We went back to Ruth to show Boaz and the man who was not named, who was a near kinsman. That man was not named because he was not important. And how he was our near kinsman, but it would have marred his inheritance. But in order to raise up the name of the dead in their inheritance, He took off the shoe and gave it to Boaz, a type of Christ who would redeem Ruth as John the Baptist speaking of Christ said, I'm not worthy to unloose or to bear his shoe latchet. And how John prepared the way for Christ and how John baptized with water under repentance for the remission of sins. And then we talked about the baptism that John said, I indeed baptize thee with water, but there cometh one after me. She said, I'm not worthy to unloose. And he shall baptize thee with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The fire being tribulation upon the Jews and God's destruction, fulfillment of the law. He didn't destroy it, he fulfilled it. And the destruction of those who were the enemies of Christ in the Jewish nation and religious service. And they talked about, we talked about the baptism of Christ, how when He was nailed to the cross, we were there with Him. When He went to the grave, He took us with Him because He died our death. He is our representative. He is our federal head. He's the fullness of the body. He's the head of the church, the body of Christ. And He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
When He laid His life down, we were with Him. He died for our sins. He shed His blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And He came forth from the tomb after three days and three nights, victorious over sin, death, hell, and Satan. Now we've come to that point, and you remember Paul is speaking to Gentiles. This is the first century church. This is the age of the the laying the foundation upon Christ of the apostles and prophets. This is the foundation of the true doctrine, how so very important of Christ. What's it about? Christ. Who's it about? Christ. Who did the work? Christ. Who sits in glory at the right hand of the majesty? Christ. Brother Ronald Lawrence yesterday talking about the book of Revelation that we spent a year and a half in. And he went back to the first part talking about Christ appearing before John. John, and we said this if you remember, we agree on this, that when John saw Him, His glory had been returned unto Him. He saw Him as He is with God in heaven above. And that's Christ. Everything's about Christ. Paul is telling these Gentiles who were had previously been without God in the world. Now I'm going to say this. All of God's children have been kept in Christ from the foundation of the world. They've stood in grace because there is no other way to stand with God except for the election of grace. But they were without God in the world in the sense they had no worship service. All the law and all of that service was to the nation of Israel. God manifesting to us that in His providence and His divine authority it was His right to love whom He pleased. That's why we read of the election of grace, those God chose to love. Paul is teaching these people about something that was new to them in their knowledge. They were brought from the idolatry, just as Abraham was, of the world into the kingdom of God. God placed them there. He gave them life. Christ in you giving you knowledge, giving you hope, giving you faith, giving you understanding. This is new to them. He said in one place to not think it's strange the things that have happened unto you. Nobody's seen this before. Salvation was of the Jews. But now, the church of God the Gentile church, the church of grace, these people were being brought into the worship service of the Lord Jesus Christ. God was revealing Himself unto them. God had touched them, took away their heart of stone, gave them a heart of flesh. God had baptized them in the Holy Spirit. They're born of God. They have the knowledge of Christ. And that's what Paul is teaching them. And he begins after he says, buried with Him, Christ, in baptism, wherein also ye, there's your personal Savior, yours, you own Christ. Well, how dare you say something? 
that used to offend me when I was younger, that someone would say they own the Lord. How do you own the Lord? Because He is your God. Because He is your Savior, your Redeemer, your hope, your promise of eternal life. He is your life. In that sense, although it's all His work, all His doing, in that sense, you own the Lord as your Lord and Master and Savior. Now Paul is talking to them, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised Him from the dead. We come to a fact, a point, and a fact here that's mentioned quite often, especially by me, because I believe in giving all the glory to God. God has blessed me to be able to see what I am by my nature and where I stand by nature, and I promise you it's not good. It's not pretty. I pray to God many times a day, Lord, Lord, I'm not worthy of the least of Thy tender mercies. I know that I cannot approach unto God. I know that my thoughts are wicked and evil. I thank God they're not that way continually as it was in the days of Noah because God hath given me, I do believe, an unction of the Spirit. And I say that because I love God. And the Bible teaches me if I love God, it's because He first loved me. I'm not saying that to boast. I'm saying that to tell you how I know that I am dead in sin and unworthy of anything and everything that's good from God. And the only way I have them or you have them is in Christ. Because we were dead. And you, there's your personal Savior, Christ, being dead in your sins. You were not hungry for righteousness. You had no desire for it. You were not thirsty. You were dead. You could not stand in the presence of God. You could not stand before God. You could not come to Him. We were dead. People have such a small view of God in this very prosperous land in which we live. We can't come to God. Everything is about God and the glory of God and Christ Jesus. We were dead, dead in sin. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh... You still had the heart of stone in your nature. Ephesians 2, we all had our course with the prince of the power of the air in rebellion against God. That's what we are. That's who we are conceived in sin. A sinner and a sinner come together and have a sinner. That's what we are. We were in the uncircumcision of your flesh. You know, I've heard this all my life. Most of us have. But can you imagine? And I thank God I have. Can you imagine being one? And Colossae was not one that was carried away quite as heavily as some of the other places like Ephesus with Diana. But they still were carried away by some pagan gods and especially with the advent of the New Testament church of grace, they were trying to be persuaded by those of the law of service among the Jews that you must be circumcised. 
and keep and obey the law of Moses. And that's what he's going to get into the rest of the chapter. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He, God, quickened together with Him, Christ, having forgiven you all trespasses, hath He quickened God. God is the giver of life. God the Father. The One who created all things. The only giver of life has given you life. You're quickened together with Christ because Christ was the first begotten from the dead. He came forth from the dead to die no more. You are quickened with Him. Our life is in Him. Having forgiven you all trespasses. I said this a week or two back, that little three-letter word all. That entails everything you inherited from Adam. That entails everything you inherited from your parents. That entails every sin you did, past, every sin you will do today, because as long as we live in this body of flesh, we are sin by our very existence. The things we think, the things we do, the things we say, and all the sins the rest of the time that we inhabit this body of flesh. They're all forgiven. That will wipe away every doctrine of works that blows through the world. Our works are as filthy rags beneath the throne of God. The best that we can do, they are not approached to God. It's all His work. He gave us life. He forgave us all our trespasses. That's why we stand complete in perfection before God in this world. That dare not compare to the perfection that we will have in glory when our body and our spirit and our soul, our entire living being, stands before Christ and glory land. It doesn't compare to that. But in the eyes of God, we're in perfection before Him while we live in this world. In Christ. In Christ. Because He's forgiven all our sins. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. Now some people will say this pertains to the covenant that God made with Adam to not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which Adam break. Some say this refers to the covenant God would made with Abraham concerning the circumcision, walk thou before me and be thou perfect, which Abraham break, which Israel break. Some say this pertains to the Exodus 19 through 24, when God gave Moses the commandments, and Moses delivered this charge of God to Israel, and they said, We will do what the Lord has said, but the covenant and the handwriting. And the ordinances 
that's being spoken of is the law itself that God gave to Moses. When God called Moses up under the mount that burned with fire and was not consumed, God revealed Himself unto him. And God sent Moses to lead His people. Now when they are there and they cross the the ocean, the sea, the Red Sea, not the Dead Sea, it's shallow, but the Red Sea, which is deep. And how did He part it? He spoke and it was parted just as He spoke and the world was created. What did He speak? He spoke the living Word of God, which is Christ. But to stay with my point, to stay with my point, God wrote those tablets He gave Moses with His own finger. That was the law. When Moses came down, Aaron, the high priest, had them in sin. The people were in sin. God gave the law to declare the righteousness of God. God gave the law that upon seeing the righteousness of God, which would come with grace, we would then see our sin by revelation of Jesus Christ and the righteousness of God manifested to us We would see our sin. That goes back to the new heart and the circumcision causing us to loathe what we are by nature. But Christ, everything in the law, every sacrifice made by the law. We go back to Abel. Abel was the keeper of the sheep. Abel brought forth of his flock and offered an offering to God. Something had to die. Abraham did the same. In the law, the sacrifices are there to sacrifice for sin. Something had to die. For there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. Every sacrifice in the law service, first of all, was fulfilled in Christ. But the sacrifices in the law are there to teach us that by the law, we're dead. We're guilty. We're convicted. This animal or bird or whatsoever that's giving its life and its blood is being shed, is taking our place in a shadow of better things to come, teaching us that we are guilty, convicted, and must, needs, die. But that animal teaching us a representation of Christ by types and shadows of the Lamb of God who would die for all the Father gave Him and would raise Him up at the last day. And then to John chapter 5, again, 
The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. That's the life God gives you in this world when Christ speaks to you and reveals Himself to you. And then a few verses down, marvel not at this, for the hour cometh in the which that all are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. Those that have done good in the resurrection of life, they have done evil in the resurrection of damnation. Now, why have you done good? We've covered that. That's the resurrection of Christ. He brought you forth into the justification of life. He has circumcised your heart. He has baptized you with the Holy Ghost. He has worked His work within you. All for the purpose of the election of grace. All for the purpose that the Son of God, whom these Gentiles had been separated from all these years, were now having preached unto them. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. The law was against us. God made Adam good and upright. Adam's son, Abel, was killed. God gave him another seed. His name was Seth. The name Seth means appointed. God appointed him another son instead of Abel whom Cain slew. But here's my point. Seth did not come forth from in the image of God. That means good and upright. Seth came forth in the image of Adam, a sinner separated from God. All of these ordinances, all these sacrifices, all of the things, the chapter upon chapter upon chapter that God gave to Moses for His people to practice and keep until the time of reformation, and that's in Christ, We're against us. All they did was condemn us. All they did was show us that we were sinners. Bringing into remembrance once a year, every year, that we are sinners. Without the grace of God, we are nothing. We have nothing. We can do absolutely nothing but rebel against God. Because we came forth in the image of Adam as a natural man a sinner. Christ blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. I said this a minute ago. God did not destroy the law. God did not do away with the law. God fulfilled the law. He brought it to perfection. And the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, keeping every aspect of the law, every commandment, every word to a jot and a tittle, and died our death and suffered our punishment on the tree of Calvary. His body becoming sin for us, which brings us back, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, 
and which was contrary to us. For we could not keep it. We would not keep it. And if we were like the Apostle Paul, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, who said that he was blameless touching the law, meaning he never broke a commandment, but you see the heart, the heart was still wicked. So we could not. (laughs) It was all contrary to us. It was all against us. It was contrary to us. And Christ took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. People have different ideas on that, but to me that's cut, dried, very simple. They took the Lord Jesus Christ after beating Him severely so bad He could not see through His eyes so badly He could not be recognized, beaten savagely by evil men. Up to the exact same place where Abraham took his son Isaac and offered him as a sacrifice because God had told him to do so. The exact same place. That's where the altar was built. And God said, stay thy hand. And Abraham said, the Lord will provide a sacrifice. Well, here's the sacrifice, the Lamb of God. The perfect, holy Son of God who is God Himself, Emmanuel, God with us. His spotless, sinless body, none by inheritance, none by commission, none by omission. They drove nails through His feet. They drove nails through His hands. His body was nailed to the cross. His body became, was made flesh. Was made flesh. But His body, He bore our sin in His body when it was nailed to the cross. Listen. Do you remember? Some of you might not. Not old enough, but I remember. But I can remember when my mom and dad would write checks to pay bills and you'd get them all back at the end of the month, simpler times, we didn't have all this computerized stuff. And you'd get a check back. They called it a cancel check. As a child, I thought that meant it wasn't any good, but what a cancel check was, was one that had been processed and the debt paid. The debt paid. Remember that. And it would be sent back to you in a box and they'd have holes in the checks where they stamped it. Now, brother, there were holes in the Lord and His hands and His feet. Our debt is paid in full. It is finished. In this day that the Lord was there, it was customary if you owed a man or a brother a debt when it was paid, they would take the debt and take a nail or a spike and drive it into a tree that all Israel could see that debt was paid. Christ was nailed to a tree. Our debt was paid. He took all the ordinances, and by the way, handwriting. Handwriting. God wrote it with His hand. God gave it to Moses. But you stop and consider 
The natural men of Israel among the priesthood would take and write upon scroll after scroll after scroll all the commandments of the law and all the prophets all pointing to Christ. Peter tells us never realizing the great things, at least to the extent that you do, that they wrote about. Christ took these things out of the way and nailed them to His cross. He suffered. He bled. He died. He laid His life down. People all over the world today talking about the resurrection and I hope God blesses them richly because it needs to be heard. The resurrection of the Son of God who saved His people from their sins, and there's not one that sinneth not. Glory be to the Son of God. He was nailed to the cross when His body became sin for us. And having spoiled principalities and powers, who were these? Paul said in the 6th chapter of Ephesians, powers of darkness in high places. I remember when Slick Willie was present, I made a comment about him I probably shouldn't have made in church, but it was true. Somebody was quick to point out to me and were right, rightfully in doing so. Let me say that. These principalities of powers of darkness in high places. We're not speaking about mankind. This is Satan who rebelled, desiring to be the very Son of God himself, rebelled against God. There was a multitude of angels. Peter talks about them. Those who left their first estate and went with him. Somebody says, when did that happen? Not shortly after creation, I believe. If not, in fact, at the very moment of creation, or when Satan and these angels were created, they're not in heaven. They've never been in heaven. They're created here in the world. We can talk about that purpose some other time. We already have a couple of times. But my point with you today, these powers and principalities or of darkness, they're of evil. Satan who desired to be the Son of God and all the beauty and wisdom and power that God created him to be for the purpose of God, of him being a cherub and taking care of and guarding the treasure of God, and that is you. He rebelled. He rebelled because of his beauty. He has tempted. He has tried to destroy he has led astray. We read the book of Revelation and we find where Satan was bound. From what? Deceiving. Who did he deceive? Everyone among the Gentile nations. For until that point of Christ, God was pleased to manifest His love to the nation and the people of Israel. Satan was bound. How? Through the death 
burial, resurrection of Christ who defeated sin, death, hell, and Satan by coming forth from the grave after laying His sinless, perfect body down. And having spoiled principalities and powers, He conquered them. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. It's now preached to you, Gentile brethren, that you are created of God. You are chosen of God. If you love God, He loved you first. God does not begin to do anything. God is and has always been. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He loved you in eternity. There has no beginning. He's always loved you Gentiles. Listen to the preaching of the Gospel, you Gentile brethren. He spoiled principalities and powers. He, Christ, made a show of them openly. How? Oh, they look for Him to come with an army of angels destroy the wicked. Well, that's coming. Won't be in this world because He won't step foot back in this world. His work here is finished. When He appears in the eastern sky, this sinful world will dissolve before Him in fire. It will burn up because it's sin and He's righteous. How did He triumph over them? Hanging upon the cross at Calvary. Fulfilling Genesis 22, the Lord would provide for Himself a sacrifice Very same spot. He spoiled. Made a show of them openly. Steve and I have been conversing this week about some of this and it's so evident in Scripture because His disciples are flesh and blood. His people are flesh and blood. While we live in this world, we're mortal beings. He had died. We thought this was He, the Messiah. He was dead. What sorrow, what great sorrow they must have had. And just like He does to you, He came to them. He revealed Himself to them. They had the revelation of Jesus Christ. They had the knowledge that He... Spoiled it. That He took it out of the way. He showed this openly. And they all saw Him upon the cross. And they all saw Him. And He was placed in the tomb. And He revealed Himself to His brethren for 40 days. Judging death, 40 a number of judgment, and revealing to His people that He was alive, that He was risen, that He had raised Himself up. That's the Gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, early part of the chapter, that we preach and we teach. That is the Gospel delivered from God out of heaven that you may have understanding, that you may have knowledge, that you may have peace which passeth understanding in this world. When the world is at war and on fire and chaos is everywhere and people are dying from 
savage, brute armies of evil men. And, and, and COVID and all these diseases are killing the elderly and killing people and destroying all things around us. We have a peace. <laughs> oh, I joy in it which passeth understanding. People want to know why the old Baptists say, well, let be what's going to be. Let come what's going to come. Because we know that this world is temporal. We're passing through here. This place don't matter. It's going to be destroyed. Christ is going to return and take us home. We cannot imagine how great that will be. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He nailed the cross. He laid his life down. He came forth from the grave. He triumphed over them. And let me give you this. I put this with Revelation 12. The battle that was fought in heaven, that heaven's the kingdom of God. That's not immortal heaven above. The dragon fought against the child the woman had, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Rome, and common practice even before that, when a great general or a great captain, when his troops would capture an army and they would be surrendered, those that were not destroyed. They would take spoil of their enemies. They take their gold, their silver, their women. Uh, why do they take the women? Because if you control the woman, you control their seed. They would take these men they had conquered. They would strip them of their armor. They would strip them of their clothing. And Caesar or whoever, whichever army was spoken of, would march the defeated enemy before the people of that land totally naked exposing their shame to everyone who would see them. Now you take that and you learn of Christ who, who made a trial, showed them openly and triumphing over them in it as He stripped Satan of His power and the angels that rebelled against God of their power, they're held in chains of darkness until the day of judgment. But He stripped Satan of His power. That is known to you. He's paraded that Christ has defeated Him. It's well known. It's shown. It's revealed to us that Christ has destroyed Him. He's naked. He has no covering of deception, for He has no glory. It's sin. Only God has glory, and He glorifies you in the glory of Christ. 
He makes Him naked before you that you can see that He is defeated and destroyed forevermore. And we know the day's coming. He'll be cast in everlasting lake of fire. But He's defeated now. You have the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Gentiles, you are not deceived anymore. What a message this is to a Gentile who by his very nature was without God in the world. And now you can think about the signs they saw that the apostles had the power to do of raising the dead and being bitten by venomous snakes and not dying and drinking poison and it not harming them. The things that God gave them to do in that time period, in that era when the Bible, the New Testament was being written for the household of faith. The things that God gave them to manifest manifested them that God was with them. And as Steve and I were talking today about martyrs, even though they were slain, even though they were beheaded, crucified, upside down, drawn and quartered from horses, pushed out James from the top of the altar in the temple and died and hit the ground and beaten to death with clubs, even though these men were martyrs and they died, don't you ever forget, death is the entrance to joy. For this sinful body is laid down and we see Christ forevermore. Look above our natural eyes. But the brethren had the knowledge through all this that Christ is eternal, that Christ is victorious. The church of God is here. Even though these men died and were slain, the church perseveres through Christ, in Christ. That's why Paul said, I'm probably going to close here, the next one. Uh, And he said, let me go back. Christ blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or the Sabbath days. These were part... Let me rephrase that. It's not correct. These were taught by the priesthood through Moses from God for the purpose of God. God would teach them what they could eat. Meats. Clean, unclean. I tell you, I'm glad I'm not a Jew because I love catfish. And the catfish was an unclean animal and I couldn't eat it. And I love venison. And it was an unclean animal. And if I was a Jew in the law service, I couldn't eat it. All these things God gave, Peter said in his writings that every creature of God is good if it's received with thanksgiving. God has created all these things for our use. What was the point of God teaching them, do not eat these things? Because God was teaching these people that there is a clean and there is an unclean. Now, catfish is my favorite fish. But they sit on the bottom, they're bottom feeders, and they're probably not the cleanest fish in the world. But all that aside... The purpose was to teach them 
of clean and unclean. We go back to Job. How can man and worm be just with God? There's only one way. If they're cleansed in the blood of the Lamb, and we had absolutely nothing to do with that. Paul is saying, Christ has spoiled these things. And he says, because of this victory in Christ, because of this work in Christ, let no man therefore judge you. Okay? Judge that you be judged not. Some people use that to uh, say it's okay to walk in sin, don't judge your brother. I go back to Paul, first place, saying, if I judge myself, no one else has to judge me. And I pray God help me every day to judge myself. But we do have a responsibility to judge in the sense of judging in the world to be separate from those that uh, appear to be the enemies of the cross of Christ, the wicked and evil in the world, uh, Gentiles in the flesh. And we have a responsibility in the church through great mercy and love, and prayer, and leadership of the Holy Spirit to keep discipline. And I say that because too many times people have done something or said something or somebody saw it and got mad and some poor child of God who loved the God made a mistake and was turned out of the church and never came back and never returned. And I've told you before, I'm not the old Baptist police. I'm here to teach you the Gospel. The Lord handles the rest. And I probably shouldn't have said that, but I did, so there it is. But we, Paul is saying, don't let any man judge you in meat. Don't let any man judge you because you, you eat a certain meat. That those are the law. Maybe it was sacrificed. To God. Maybe it's sacrificed to idols, bought in the shambles. Maybe it's a meat that God said was unclean, such as swine or pork. All these things are fulfilled. All these things are completed when Christ, not destroying the law, but fulfilling the law, all this was nailed to the cross. Eat. What you please. Eat what God provides. Let no man there, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to read it and close, and we'll come back to this next week. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink. You know, they, it was a sin because the old Jews made it a sin to drink in an uncovered cup. Silly thing. Washing of hands. Washing of. Vessels, cups, plates. Trying to appear perfect before men. And we'll get into that next week. Or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or the Sabbath days. And there's a colon, so that's a good place to stop.